marching then through our 40 days of community and uh, we're looking at what it might mean to serve not by ourselves but to serve together and the word together is our overused word through these uh, weeks because we're reminding ourselves that that's how God intended us to be, to live, to move and to have our being, not on our own but together. The very first thing God said almost was it wasn't good for man to be alone. We were made for community, for fellowship, for uh, relationship. And we've been looking at how that expresses itself in different ways. We were made, created, that we might worship together, that we might have fellowship together, that we might grow together, that we might reach out together. And now this morning we're thinking about how we might serve uh, together. And at the heart of this whole idea of serving is this sense that we don't offer what we do to God in isolation from everyone else, but that we serve him with one another. Excuse me, here we go. Agree with each other, loving one another, and working together, serving together with one heart and purpose. Our service of God is not me in my small corner doing my own thing, but my worship, my service of God is me doing my thing in relation to everybody else doing their thing. And God calls his church to live like that where what I do is really important, not just because of what I do, but because of how what I do relates to what everybody else does, that we might move together with one heart and one purpose. And we have known the strength of moving together in that kind of way. The, the weekend before last, so a fortnight ago, when we celebrated the opening of the church uh, centre in the different ways that we did over that weekend, was all that it could be because we did it together. We didn't all do the same thing, and we were all acutely aware that if we did our thing and someone else didn't do their thing, we'd be stuffed without us all fitting into place together. We need each other. And so over and over again it comes to us in God's Word about understand what He's calling you to do, but understand how what you are being asked to do relates to what everybody else has been asked to do. Why? Because we're family, and we work together therefore as those who belong to God. Why? Because we need each other. Each one of us finds our meaning and function as a part of Christ's body. If my finger is separated from the rest of my body, it might be a beautiful finger, but it loses its usefulness. It makes no sense to have a finger operating in complete isolation from uh, the body. And the temptation all of the time in our culture, in our world, is to do our own thing and to do it in our own way. And God says, I'm calling you to be different. 
I'm calling you not to do your own thing by yourself in your own way. I'm calling you to do your own thing, to, to, sorry, to do my thing in my way with my people, a togetherness. And so whilst we wouldn't dream of parts of the body functioning independently, so God builds us into this a body, <clears throat> not dreaming for a moment that we would go off and operate <coughs> individually. And finally, in this little section, because we get so much more done when we do it together. We get so much more done. It's been a good day today with my PC. My BlackBerry decided not to communicate with Windows XP this morning. So my left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing, which is kind of very scriptural. So I'm feeling good about that. And uh, why that should start now, I have absolutely no idea. We get more done when we do it together. Two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. It's not news. This is what we understand in life. Team work, we call it. And we understand it in so many different ways. When we work as a team, we get so much more done together. The gardening metaphor doesn't work very well for me, but it may work for you, and certainly it's there in the New Testament. The one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose. And one of the tragedies uh, that can exist in a church's life is when people are doing their thing in their corner in some kind of competition to someone else doing their thing in their corner. We're not called to compete but to cooperate that we might get more done together. And you can probably think about a time when you worked uh, as a team and, and you got that buzz, that thrill of knowing your place in the team. You got that uh, 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 thrill of being able to know that you need to do your thing which you're good at and somebody else will be doing the thing where you're not so good at and together you were going to pull it off <coughs> Excuse me, and do so much more than you would have been able to do by yourself. Great teams win. You don't have a problem with that, do you? <laughs> Great teams win. Triple Crown, for example. Just as a, a recent illustration of how great teams win. And God calls this church to be a great team, doesn't he? A team that wins against the darkness of our age. A team that wins with truth over that which is untrue. A team that wins in love in a world that finds hate so easily at its fingertips. A team that wins in coming together with a world that's falling apart. A team that wins by recognizing each other's differences rather than exploding because of our prejudices. And so Jesus built a team. He built a team of 12 totally weird people, which gives me hope. And he got those 12 totally weird people with lots of different backgrounds and all with different prejudices towards each other. And he said, we're going to do something together. We're going to do team together. 
I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they did. This weird band of people, inspired by the greatest leader this world has ever seen, began to make, to turn, uh, or whatever it is, they didn't turn men into fish, did they? (laughs) But as fishers of men, they began to fish people in the pools of darkness and to catch them for the light of the gospel. And then when Jesus sent them out, out, he said, i got a great idea, you go out in teams. And so Jesus sent them out in teams. And if you look at the times in the Bible when Jesus sent the disciples off, he sent them out in little teams. He said, you'll need each other. Go together, share in it together. You are not in this by yourself. That's not the kind of uh, gospel community that I'm calling you to. And he sent them out in teams and they came back and were totally thrilled by all that had happened. And the New Testament goes on to capture over and over and over this fantastic sense of team. Romans 16, which I, I, I trust you had read to you while I was uh, otherwise engaged, uh, is a marvellous uh, little window on what church life was like. So many different people. You get the idea, if you're not careful, that there are these churches, everyone's sitting there in the pew, and superhero Paul is going around making it all happen. And Paul says, I just want to send greetings to all of these people working in the Lord, because it's just a fantastic team effort. This is a team pulling together, each of them different, each of them doing different things, each of them knowing their place, each of them knowing what they're about. And so the church continued to grow. What does it take to build a team. And just for a few moments, just for 10 minutes, I want to talk, uh, maybe even for seven or eight minutes, about what it might take for us to really build an even stronger sense of team here. The first is trust. The first is trust. If we're going to build a team that's even stronger than the team we know, we need to trust one another. It's a humble thing. It's a recognition of our own, uh, 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 our own limits as individuals. It's a recognition of other people's strengths where we are weak. It's a recognition of our own strengths when others are weak. It's to say that other people will take responsibility that we won't. We're going to share in it together. Many people claim to be loyal but it's hard to find a trustworthy person. A word from the Bible thousands of years ago, and yet in our schools, in our offices, in our factories where we work, maybe even in our homes, we sometimes find it hard to trust somebody else. And sometimes people will say to me in the church, that person would be really, really good at doing that ministry, but they're not trustworthy. We don't mean by saying that, or they don't mean when they reflect it back to me, they don't mean they're dishonest, but they mean, well, perhaps they're not as reliable as they could be, or perhaps they're not as committed as they should be. Perhaps their commitment isn't stable. And you can't build team without that. You can be fantastic at the thing God wants you to do, but in order to build team, we need to be those people that can be relied upon. Now, it could be tempting for us to think together, well, how can we find trustworthy people? But let's spin that on its head. Instead of how can we find trustworthy people, 
How can you and I be more trustworthy? More reliable in the team? More committed in the team? More uh, uh, able to say with confidence, that's my call. I'll take my call. And if we want to be reliable, committed members of team, I guess we need firstly to be consistent. Sometimes people are really enthusiastic. They are starters and not finishers. And they get really excited about the beginning and then it all quickly wanes. How consistent are you in what God's asking of you? How consistent am I in what God's asking of me? Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. You say, well, I'm not interested in being trusted with very little. I want to be trusted with something really big. And God says, well, if you learn to to, to be trustworthy in something that's small, that's important to me because I'm looking at the heart. And if you can be reliable and committed and trustworthy in something that is small, then I'll give you something that is big. Be consistent. Be confidential. This is so obvious, it's so kind of uh, uh, boringly obvious, but it's so easy not to do this. It's so easy to break somebody's confidence. It's so easy to talk out of turn about something you know. Too much of that goes on. And we've got to really steal ourselves. We've got to be trustworthy people to build a team that wins. We've got to be confidential. A gossip betrays a confidence. A trustworthy man keeps a secret. Nothing breaks trust quicker than breaking someone's confidence. Take it very seriously. May your small groups be very safe places because you are proving to one another your trustworthiness within them. Thirdly, being close. Friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. We've got to learn to be close with each other. The closer we are, the more we will trust one another. And the, the, the best way to get closer to people is to go through some difficulties and some hardships with one another. Nothing will bring you closer faster than those things. So we're learning to trust. We're learning to be a team that wins. So T, we need E, we need empathy if we're going to be on a winning side. We not only need to know someone's hurt, we need to feel their hurt. Evan hasn't got empathy sorted out. Evan is two years old. He loves waking up his sisters in the morning without any sympathy whatsoever. Live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic. He has not read it yet. So with great delight, he anticipates how best to wake up his sisters. His best proven method to wake up his sisters is to go into the bathroom, dismantle the toilet roll holder, which is a a round base on a tall stem where you put the toilet rolls on top. He can separate that off. Suddenly you have a baton. (laughs) It is incredibly effective at waking people up. But it's not very empathetic. And sometimes we go about our life with our batons in our hands. And God says, will you feel, will you feel what the person in your small group is feeling? That you can really build a team that wins. To feel, you've got to slow down. See, if I'm moving fast, I can't catch the detail. And if I'm moving fast, I'll never catch the detail of your life. And you with me neither. We've got to slow down. We've got to ask questions. How are you? fine. Ask a different question. 
show interest, get alongside. And this one, the blokes will love it, show emotions. Show emotions. Who went, oh no. <laughs> rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Not so much I'm sorry you hurt, but I feel your hurts. I understand your hurts. We're in this together because if you hurt, I hurt. Empathy. How much time do we spend being sympathetic to those around us to build a team that's winning? Thirdly, accommodate. Accommodate. Accommodation. Are you easy to get along with? Are you easy to get along with? Some of us in this church, some of you in this church, have been magnificently accommodating to all the change that's taken place, that has made it possible for a new generation to move on with Jesus in perhaps a way they wouldn't have been able to. If in 1856, when this church began, they chose not to be accommodating, they chose to decide that the way it was is the way it will always will be, the church never would have made the beginning of the last century let alone this one. When we accommodate people, accommodation, we make a room for them. And we need to be people that are always making room for others. People with different needs and different ideas and different hang-ups and different anxieties, different likes and dislikes, different moods, different personalities. So we need to accommodate each other in our need. You say, I can't even meet my own needs, let alone accommodate someone else's. That's exactly the idea. Your needs are not met by your own effort, but as you give to meet the needs of others, the Bible says God will give back through them to meet yours. We accommodate each other's ideas. We accommodate each other's personalities. And we accommodate each other's faults. Have you noticed that there are people in your small group that have got faults? You see, there's three things we can do when we realize that people in our groups have got faults. We can fake it. We can fake it. We can act like we're all perfect and we're just pretending. Or we can beat it and say, well, if they've got faults, I'm not sticking around with people that have got faults. I'm going for the perfect group. Scary thought. Or you can accept it and say, hey, they've got faults and so have I. In fact, if they knew all my faults, they wouldn't let me in this group. And if I knew all their faults, I wouldn't want to be in their group. We've all got faults. But we can be real. And we can accept one another as God accepted us. And then lastly, for team, we've got to do stuff together. Hey, we're team to win, aren't we? We're team for a purpose. We're not here for our own amusement, for our own enjoyment, for our own peace of mind. We're here to make a difference in God's world. And if we're going to make a difference in God's world, we've got to be part of a team that's maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And what's that purpose? That we might help lost people find Jesus. And that as lost people find Jesus, we might build them up so that God might fire them up 
that God might send them out and find more lost people, that we might build up, that God might fire up and then send out, and more, and more mission and maturity. That's the team. That's what it's about. It's almost as exciting as the Triple Crown. And in weeks when you've forgotten about the Triple Crown, but I haven't, May we never forget what this team's about. Because whilst the Triple Crown might come and might go, I'll be humble enough to admit, what we do in this team lasts through the ages and on into the age without any age, doesn't it? Do not store up treasures on earth where the moths and all the rot comes but store up treasures in heaven. What better way than to invest our life in winning lost people, being on a winning team? Jesus wants us to win, doesn't he? And if he wants us to win, and if he's the head of this team, then we can lift our heads high and we can move on in God's purpose together. Let's pray. Father, if I'm going to be on your winning team, then I have a responsibility to know my place, to play my part, and to be the person that is best able to do that. And you've been putting your finger this morning on that person part. What kind of person am I? Am I accommodating? Am I empathetic? And am I trustworthy? And am I clear about the mission? What kind of person am I? Make me the person that is part of your winning team. Lord, if you're going to do something really fantastic through this team here, Lord, I ask that I might be a part of that. Maybe quietly in our hearts we just agree with God that we want in. We believe in this team. And we actually believe that Jesus didn't set up a team to fail, but a team to win. And as Jesus went walking one day and he said to those first disciples, hey, follow me, you're in. Maybe you're wondering whether you're in. Would Jesus really want you in his team? Just allow him by his Holy Spirit to whisper in your ear, you're in. If you trust me, you turn from living your own way, you're in. You're in. And we haven't got it all right and we haven't got it all together and thousand times we failed but your mercy is there every day so for all our faults and for all our failings Lord we offer them to you build us into the people that you long for us to be change us from the inside out that we might be on the winning side that we might be a team that wins